I'd rather take a, a, a study from Pakistan that has been um, looked into with the standard methods of like fraud detection. Fraud that happens in, you know, the non sort of core Western countries is pretty blatant. Fraud that happens in the Western countries, dude, these people know what the yeah. fuck they're doing. They are taking every, you know, 0.1% advantage they can grab. They're, they will take it. And they have like 150 of those, right? So they pack them all up. And then the study comes out looking a weird way. And you're like, what happened? Everything looks yeah. fine. You're like, ah, I found this. And they're like, yeah, but that's just 0.1%, right? It's tiny. Yeah. Like, that's probably not it. And then you're like, but I found this one. It's like, yeah, well, that's 0.2%. It's like, yeah, but if you add them all together and there's like, you know, dozens of them. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. the same thing, but it's much, much harder to prove that something went wrong. It's like it's like the gerrymandering process within science. Welcome to Proof of Work with Jeffrey Kibler and special guest Alexandros Marinos. Yeah, let's. I mean, we're recording, so we're just gonna start this <laughs> off right now and get into it, man. Um, so, Alex, thanks for joining me here. Very first podcast ever. Uh, I wanted to, the thing I wanted to start off asking you about is how we met, which was better skeptics. I feel like Jocelyn, my, you know, my wife, Jocelyn, who does lady scientist podcast and you sort of met through this interaction of better skeptics. And I was hoping you could, uh, take the audience through what that was, uh, what the initial goal was, what did you end up getting out of it? Uh, tell us about better skeptics. All right. So. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of awesome because, I mean, especially how, how Mother Jocelyn was um, characteristic of the kind of thing I, I, I want, like, you know, good good Twitter, right? <laughs> um, where you just put a, something out there and you kind of see what comes back to you and you kind of like uh, recycle that energy. And hopefully, if you do it right, the energy recycle is good and not bad. Um, or at least, you know, you keep the bad energy like to manageable levels or something like that. Um, so what was happening then is that like, I was, you know, I was kind of like aware of things and I was, you know, it was, this was, um, like summer 2021, right? So we had about a year, 14, 15 months of pandemic, you know, drama, 18 months, maybe even, uh, going on. Right. Um, uh, I had been sort of watching Brett, uh, Weinstein's podcast, uh, quite a bit. Um, but I, but that was about the time when he had started getting controversial, right? Until like a few months back, he was kind of just like, you know, lab leak, whatever, which was okay, like controversial, but not like controversial. You know what I mean? Like um, everybody was kind of like, okay, you know, maybe like so long as you weren't like pushing back against public health advice for what you should do right now, people I think were mostly willing to let it uh, let it fly. But the moment it becomes, you know, about what should we do looking forward, I think that's when it, you know, shit started really hitting the fan. Um, so, you know, that was kind of happening in the background, right? So as a viewer, I was just trying to figure out what I thought about this whole thing. And, and, and what, know, and, my... and what would, and what was Brett kind of get, what was the controversial thing that Brett was like getting some heat for? Right. So what Brett had released at that time was basically like a uh, like a set of podcasts where he just kind of opened up his whole hypothesis. And I don't know that he ever like sat down and laid it out, but basically he had had he had originally had like Yuri uh, Dagan who talked about lab leak. Right. That was like a while back. 
And then uh, as it was getting closer to this time, he had the kind of the epic one with um, Malone and uh, Kirsch, uh, that, that, that is Robert Malone and, and Steve Kirsch, which was like painful to listen to, but, you know, in retrospect, quite uh, predictive, I would say. Um, he had the one with Pierre Corey, and then he went with Pierre Corey to Rogan. So that's another two there. He had had um, Gert Vanderbosch, who talked about variants and, you know, viral evolution. And at that point, everybody was like, there's not going to be any variants. And if there is, you know, our vaccines are going to just like hold it all back. It's going to be fine, whatever, you know, like com completely, you know, now this sounds idiotic. At the time, we, you know, nobody, like the virologist knew. So clearly, whatever they were saying was like management, but the public didn't know what to think, right? So, um, and and so, you know, through those, I don't remember if there was like any other podcast that was sort of in this vein, but basically he kind of laid out, if you, if you kind of took it all together, he laid out a hypothesis that something is going terribly wrong with the public health response to the pandemic, right? Like that something isn't, isn't quite... Um, making sense and that there are significant scientific perspectives that are not being uh, taken into account. Um, and especially with Malone, you know, being, uh, you know, the, the claimed inventor of the mRNA vaccines, that's kind of important, right? Especially at that, that moment. So I had like watched all of that and I was kind of thinking about it. I had also just gotten vaxxed like recently, right? So it wasn't like anything Brett says goes, but I was like, okay, you know, he might, um, he, he, he might have a point. Um, so as, as all of that was happening, I just witnessed an ever growing negativity towards Brad and Heather, um, and not necessarily because of something I could identify, right? Like I was like, okay, what specifically is it? Just tell me, you know, and people were just like, oh, you know, well, you know, they're just shoot a science, like whatever, you know, not, you couldn't like, I was like, yeah, pin it down. Please show me. Like, and one guy actually went and said, look at this podcast in this moment, you know, Kirsch said this. So I went and he didn't. <laughs> right. I was like, gee, this is, this is quite something now. Like I'm, I'm, I'm literally chasing a ghost. So that was kind of when I got this idea for, for that better skeptics project that you asked me about, which is that, um, you know, he's, uh, you know, I, sorry, I kind of saw like this whole sort of a lot of argument and fighting on, on social media, you know, not nothing new per se, but it just bugged me that I couldn't get to the bottom of like, what were people fighting about, right? Like, what was the actual issue here that we were trying to negotiate? So I, I came up with this structure that basically said, look, um, I'll pay, you know, I'll put down my own money to put some prizes so people aren't like, oh, you know, you're trying to make us do research for nothing. Um, and what I asked people to do is to come up with a set of claims, right, that would go through a first sort of filtering by by referees for, you know, does this look reasonable on its own without any external research, just like as a claim, is it like consistent? And then that the ones that kind of pass the first phase will get put out again for, Counterpoint, right? So the the um, the people who uh, obviously did did not agree with those claims could say, "Hey, no, that's not true because X, Y, Z," right? Um, and then th those would go through a second round of filtering to see if the the counterclaim sort of defeats the claim or the claim still stands because the counterclaims are not you know strong enough, let's say, right? So that's where I needed referees and, and sort of Jocelyn um, volunteered there. And that was great because, you know, obviously with 
her her background, which I believe is a PhD in molecular biology, you know, that kind of uh, helps. <laughs> if you, you know, if you start like having good answers to like 98 of 100 challenges, you start to get the idea that you have a good answer to every challenge. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. you always have to be a little bit careful because you never know when you're going to find somebody who actually knows what they're talking about and is not actually coming after you, right? And, I, and I'm not saying like I do that well all the time. Definitely a struggle with that. Sometimes, you know, you just like fob somebody off that said something that wasn't as, um, uh, you know, obvious as it sounded or whatever. And, sure. you know, I'm, I'm sure. But I, I that's what I try to do. I try to see people who come at problems with nuance. And then I, I kind of turn off the the fence, right? And I, and I, and I sort of try to engage a little bit more. Um, but but it's a it's a it's a hard game. I think long story short is that like the way I I play Twitter, um, I've got I'm very very happy because I can put in questions. I think that's when it shows you know it shows the power of what that that platform can do. The, my followers are such now that I can put in like hard questions about complicated things, and I can get very interesting answers. Right, like where. I was like, what was, did I ask the other day, like about viral shedding, right? Which I didn't think was a yeah. thing, but somebody was asking me, a friend was asking me and I was like, Hey, let's, let's put a question out, see what comes back. Then I got back like several studies and like deep stuff. And I was like, Holy smoke. Yeah. This might, I might have to dig into this now because it's so much stuff that is actually a lot more legit, you know, at least on first blush. Right. I don't, I don't know. than it looked uh, when like I hadn't, ask the question i guess so that i think is 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 kind of how the platform works and if i i stop being able to do that i think i'll probably have taken a wrong turn somewhere gotcha yeah now just for the audience uh what is rct and why what, what and what does it right. mean for to be the golden standard because this is one of the things we were talking about yesterday on twitter where i was just you know i actually had to ask jocelyn i was like hey help help me understand this a little bit and she kind of explained to me and then it was like this light bulb like oh okay but if you could dive into that one a little yeah. bit yeah yeah of course so, so basically the question is like how do i know a drug works right yeah it's a it's a it's a basic question, but like honestly, it's a lot harder than it sounds. So, um, the way they used to do it back in the day is maybe they would you know, just give a bunch of people right a drug and like kind of see what happens or whatever, or you go by reputation, right? Like it's like, well, you know, I gave it to my cousin and my cousin, whatever, you know. Okay, so so at some point, you know, they had a lot of contradictory <laughs> findings, right? And we're like, all right, what is really going on? So they. I don't know when this started happening. Randomization as a thing, probably like early 20th century. I don't know if it goes further back from there. But, you know, that became a paradigm that became ever more refined until we got to what is called a randomized clinical trial. Um, uh, or maybe it's a randomized control trial, maybe something like that. I think it's control um, trial. But basically the idea is that you take two groups of people, right? And you randomly allocate them to groups yeah. canonically placebo group and a treatment group you can do more complicated things but that's kind of your basic setup um and the idea is that let's say that your drug works better in tall people than short people whatever you might not even know what you know what that pattern is but because you've randomized people you're kind of bound to get some level of balance between like tall people and short people in both groups so that's not un unless you've called it out that's not going to be uh what shows the one group to be a lot more sort of affected than the other or something like that. So basically it handles confounders, both the ones that you know and ones that you don't know. So that's 
why, uh, well, that's a story, at least around why RCTs are sort of the like, gold standard in, in medicine. Yeah. The problem with RCTs, however, is that um, they have great internal validity, as they call it, right? Like uh, within yeah. the walls of the randomized trial, like what you learn is um, is going to be, you know, unless you botch it, which you totally could, but like for the exact thing you test and the exact thing you try and the exact point in time, population, you know, a bunch of things that are like in intrinsic to the time and place you, you do your experiment and the various criteria you used, what you learn is going to be very likely to be true, right? Yeah. However, the problem that RCTs have is what they call external validity, right? Which is like, yeah. okay, well, you went to, let's say Brazil, right? And you did a, a, a trial on ivermectin um, and you found a result. Is that result going to be true for the rest of the world for all time? Right. Well, it turns out that Brazil at that time was undergoing, you know, a, a huge spike of the gamma variant, which actually doesn't exist anywhere else. And also because of that spike, everybody was taking ivermectin on the side. So now, <laughs> right, like sales have gone through the roof like 20 times over. Um, yeah. And you could get it, by the way, in a pharmacy right here in the US or like other other countries, you have to get a prescription. It's kind of hard to get. But there, because they have the parasite problem that... Um, uh, it's it, it was it was you know approved for it's something it's a very common drug it's got low side effects so you're going to get people just going to the pharmacy right so you you try to do a trial now but put yourself in the in the in the mind of a of a patient you got covid right and it's it's beating you up pretty badly you're also a high risk patient which is what that trial was optimizing for right you got covid you're a high risk patient they they approach you you're like do you want to come to our trial and take ivermectin you're like what the thing i can get at the pharmacy and they're like, yeah, and if you come to our trial, there's like a 50% chance we might give you ivermectin or we might not give you ivermectin. You know, I mean, it only takes half a brain to say like, sure, yeah, you know, give me the special, you know, nice treatment. But, uh, you know, on my way back, I'm just going to go by the pharmacy and get some, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, you see this this pattern actually in another trial in Argentina. The guy literally said, you know, the very fact that we were talking about doing a trial was pushing people to go to the pharmacy and buy ivermectin. And you can even yeah. see it on Google Friends. Wow. Like, so... I never thought of that one. Like, you're actually, by talking about the trial itself, you're inducing the people in the trial to break the protocol of the trial. Right. Because they want right. what the hypothetical solution is. Another trial in Colombia actually lied, well, lied to people by saying, we're going to give you this drug called D11AX22 which is actually the molecular description of ivermectin. But so, but then if they were taking ivermectin, um, they wouldn't know to like not take it. Maybe they told the, they told you, hey, don't take ivermectin while you're taking this drug. But, you know, you're like, eh, it's, it's a different drug, whatever, right? Like it, wow. there's no real easy way out of these, these kinds of problems. So you might, again, for the population you've tried it, at the time you've tried it, right? You might get something that is true, but like, what does that mean? How do I apply that learning to the real world is a whole other question. And that's where I think people overextend themselves with, with, with randomized trials, because the other thing you can do is an observational trial, right? Like, so for instance, again, with ivermectin, just because this is the thing I've looked into the most, um, they did this trial in Mexico where anybody basically who got a, a positive test in, in, in Mexico City for a period of a few months, they would just give you a kit, right? And the kit had, I think, aspirin, ivermectin. Um, I don't, I don't remember what else, but like mostly ivermectin, a bunch of, other, you know, a few other things, but like, 
kind of the big one was was ivermectin. And um, you know, they they wrote that trial up and you know it looked really good. And then people were like, well, you know, but we don't know who chose to take the drug and who chose not to. And you know, did you follow the patients and whatever? No, but it was like I don't remember now, like yeah. eighty thousand people, right? Like that's a lot. Of, like you you start to resolve the internal the external validity problem because you cover like a whole area for a, for a period yeah. of time, lots and lots of people. But they're like, yeah, but like internal validity is a problem, sure. But anyway, so that's you know, clinical trials are a mess basically, and we don't really know anything. <laughs> that that is pretty. so. All right, I'm going to bring this in a slightly different direction because Jocelyn uh, asked me to make sure I asked you a bit about this one. Um, tell me about Doctor Roller Gator and uh, describe your man crush on him. My man crush. I do not have a man. That crush was those were my words, not hers. Um, uh, so. <laughs> What do you want to? So Gator is, is is a fascinating. You know, remember like what we were talking about, like Twitter and managing the interaction. I think like Gator is a teacher in terms of like not having people like people who have tried to go after him end up humiliated, right? Like they they really really kind of more often than not sort of regret the interaction because he and and I think the way he does it. I mean, I'm sure it's like he he does a lot of things on many levels that I couldn't possibly explain. But one of the things he does. He comes across as um, quite like frivolous or whatever. He he you know he types in all caps, whatever, right? So they're like, <laughs> oh, you know, this must be some fourteen-year-old child. And then you know they come after him with something like, well, you didn't think about that, but it turns out he's like a fucking amazing mathematician statistician. So then he <laughs> come back at you, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> so you know the, he he does you know he exposes people I think a lot for their conceit. Uh, by ridicule, but also sort of on point, right? Mm. Defensible ridicule. So, I mean, right now his account is suspended. So, you know, rest in peace um, for <laughs> the moment until the resurrection uh, by our, our our Lord and Savior Elon Musk. But um, uh, yeah, for the moment, uh, things are pretty uh, things are pretty uh, tight um, for for that account. Um, but and, yeah, I think Gator really is a is a source of many lessons in, in sort of managing narratives without 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 being fake. Yeah, even though he's yeah. obviously fake. <laughs> I mean, it, it, he's an entertaining account, right? Like oh, he, yeah. he, he's not just sitting there giving you facts and figures, even though that's included. But he is uh, he's putting on a show too. Yeah, I think like it's an aesthetic, right? Like what he doesn't, what other people do, I think is not, as you say, right? It's not just like uh, dry, but the, it's an aesthetic. It's, 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 these are the things that I don't, you know, I couldn't quite describe to you, but you kind of get a vibe for the person. So some people just can't stand him, right? And it's not that I'm like, you're wrong. Or right? it's just, yeah. you know, you either like, it either resonates or it doesn't. But like, yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely, I definitely enjoy uh, his stuff when, when he's around. So slightly different direction again, even um, professionally, how you run your own company, something I don't know too much about it at all, but it's an Internet of Things company, Belena, Belena. Um, how do you find time to do all this? You know, uh, amateur, I, I don't want to call it amateur because it's really like. Yeah, no, I mean, research, it's not, it's not in my, like, not my this ballpark. is not your profession that you're doing yeah. like on this stuff. Um, you know, I'd be lying if I say if I said that it it hasn't taken, you know, time that would have gone elsewhere. I think um this is kind of important probably 
also for Belena to figure out what the hell is going on for me to like get my bearings and like because ultimately if you think about it right like what's happened in the world in the last couple of years and you know what I, I, I'll, I'll rephrase that what's happened in my world right because I'm yeah. sure lots of people kind of like had a much more sophisticated model I was pretty much a normie right and and diving into these things yeah and you know gradually you get a sense that like n- lots and lots of things are not as they seem right so that actually affected affected my ability to run my company because as an entrepreneur you're supposed to predict the future right yeah. like you're supposed to kind of know where to go so um really in a way what i'm sort of doing with all this stuff is i'm trying to find a way to get my bearings back so i can do my yeah. job um because if i don't know like you know i mean People want to be like, yeah, hey, Internet of Things and like medical stuff. Like, what does that have to do with each other? It's like, dude, have you seen supply chains recently? Yeah. Do you th- <laughs> you know who that affects, right? And 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 supply chains have a lot to do with you know how the political sort of management of the of the, of the whole pandemic has been going. And I need to know if I can trust these people or not, right? Like a lot of these questions um, are are intertwined. And so you know, I, I happen to you know come across one question that i've gotten you know very educated about but uh, like a lot of the things it's the the things you learn about one you know small question you can you can actually expand very very easily once you hit the hit the hit the ground so in a way i think what i'm doing is actually a service to to myself and my team just trying to get my, my my bearings um, at the same time, I do think like, you know, I got to, uh, this stuff has to take the back seat at some point and I got to get back into full, full blown, you know, uh, focus. Is your background as a software developer? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, computing, I, I don't think I've worked like, you know, many, many years as a, like a, a working software engineer, but like yeah. computing is my background, like my PhD mm-hmm. and stuff. And then I started this company off of that. Um, and, and what does the company do? So what the company does is if you have an Internet of Things device, right? Like what's, mm-hmm. okay, Alex, what's that? Um, Like a thermostat or a drone or a self-driving car, something that is a computer but doesn't look like a computer, basically, right? Yeah. It's not a laptop. It's not a mobile phone, but it is a thing that has a full-blown computer on it. It's con- connected to the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, those things also need updates and, you know, sort of management and stuff like that. But you don't have a user, right, to say like, "Hey, there's the new yeah. update here. Do you want to install it or whatever?" Or if it breaks, like they'll take it to service, right? Um, they're kind of just like think of them like the Mars rover or something. Like that's how I, I, I tell my team to think about it. Um, you got the Mars rover, and it's like in, on Mars, right? And nobody's gonna come to help, right? So you gotta approach how you write software and how you all the services you built around, you know, that fleet of devices in a way that is like extremely like careful about like the the reliability of the thing um even if you give up a little bit of performance even if you give up a little bit of like space or whatever like the the number one thing is like reliability right like we can't lose you know we can't brick stuff in the field because it might be built into bricks <laughs> in the wall right somewhere like you you really have to be careful so basically what we do is we build the plumbing for people who have that kind of fleets of devices i see and so we are kind of like AWS, if you know from like cloud computing, like we're yeah, kind of in the yeah. background, um, and we power you know people with with fleets who do all sorts of things, right? From from like you know blockchain sort of mining stuff to uh, yeah, as I said, drones or cameras or thermostats or you know screens or whatever. Um, but as I again, like this is how this all comes back is like as I've understood sort of how power functions and how networks function and how uh, control functions. 
I've started to become a lot. Um, I started to do a lot of thinking basically around, you know, what do we want to be as a company? Do we want to like just kind of sit back and enable like a massive surveillance sort of apparatus? Uh, to I'm glad you emerge? said it because that's exactly ding, ding, ding in my mind right. was going off. I was like, I wonder how many uh, undercover NSA agents are working in there. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, so the, the thing is like w- one thing that you realize when you're working with this stuff is that security um, you do your best, right? You really yeah. do your best because yeah. honestly, like t- somebody attacking us is going to be a real problem, right? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if you are an honest software engineer, you know that what we know is very little. Like things are, you're sh- like, you know, zero day exploits, this and that. Like there's so many fingers and so many pies and so much going around there. And, and really just think about it from a formal perspective, right? Like you've got a, a software system that's made of mi- like just the Linux kernel is, I don't know, 10 million lines of code or whatever. Like what are the odds that like, there's not a bug somewhere <laughs> that's just gonna, oh. you know, zero. That's, that's the number, the number is zero. <laughs> there's zero odds that whatever. So as I've been sort of, you know, <sighs> thinking through all of this stuff, I think my perspective has also shifted towards, you know, Right now, if if I think about like good and evil in the world, if let's, let's just like blow it all up, sure, sure. whatever. Um, I think about systems of control versus systems of enablement, right? Yeah. Things that try to make people um, succumb to like zero sum logic of like, well, you know, this there's only so much you know energy in the world. There's so so much food. There's only so much space. There's only so much whatever. Um, so people start coming at each other, right? Like they're like, well, you know, I got mine, or I'm gonna get yours. <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, we we had the last rabbit hole we did, you know, one of the things that we talked about is that good and evil almost always has a point of view. And that, you know, we are, you know, one of the things that I think of, because I know you're a a kind of a first principles sort of guy is in terms of first principles when thinking about ethics. And this is a a, a reasonably new development in my, uh, my way of thinking is that the memes must support the genes. And, and what I and what I mean by that is the ideas that you have, your consciousness and what comes from your consciousness has to support the longevity of the genes that you you have. And this is actually I know you this was this is something that like Stephen Patterson and w- one of the Weinsteins was reflecting on in the, that uh, YouTube you, you recommended the yes, other yes. day, that podcast, the Dark Horse podcast. They they danced around that. But that's. Yeah. 100% what those guys were talking about and that you 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 have to have some sort of competition um and 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 it will in and it can be competition between two individually ethical systems you know from right. from the point of view of their own survivals independently right, right? so anyway go uh, you were saying but this is kind of getting where i'm going which is that like in an in in a zero sum world right um, good, even good people are forced to do things that they are not maybe proud of because you, you're starving, right? Like you're running yeah. out of whatever, and that's your family starving, right? That's, yes, you know, hundred so percent. You, gotta, you, you gotta can't get out there those and, people. You know, sharp elbows and everything. Um, but so, 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 but in my mind, like these are all self-reinforcing dynamics, right? Like if we believe we're in a zero-sum world, we act like we're in a zero-sum world, and we, you know, we make it real. Um, or what? So, what's the alternative? The alternative is like to be in a positive some world, right? To actually enable each other to go out in the universe and like in the world of ideas and whatever and pluck out oh. concepts that are um, sort of, uh, 
you know, generative that open up new dimensions for all of us, right? So yeah. if we support each other, then we can maybe find, you know, new dimensions of, of, of um, you know, goods, either material or immaterial. Like, you know, people could be like, well, you know, but there's only so much gold in the earth, right? So we got to yeah. like compete. It's like, well, there there's asteroids out there and they're probably made of gold, like, uh, you know, uh, much more than you, than you think. And, you know, there's people like into like asteroid mining or whatever, but that, that's, that's the, that's the difference in, in, in sort of dynamics, right? Like if we cooperate, we can actually all together sort of work to open up completely new fields. Whereas if we go at each other, um, we end up destroying even what we have, right? So zero right. sum games don't stay zero sum; they they become negative sum, whereas positive sum games actually become infinite sum because we, you know, we keep building and building. So well, if you survive, yeah, yeah, if that's you're right. part of that. If you're part of the surviving segment, right? And it's I, so I kind of think of what you're saying as like let's take like the, you know, there's this trope that capitalism is like this terrible destructive force right and like billionaires shouldn't exist in this and that i actually feel like billionaires are often the people who have optimized the cooperation in con versus competition continuity most successfully right they knew who they've they've cooperated with the most people like they are getting the most systems of people working with them to right. a unified goal while also destroying their competitors in many well, ways. Here's the thing, right? Like they, people will talk about somebody like Bezos, for instance, and they're like, oh, yeah. you know, he takes advantage of employees in his warehouses. And for all I know, they could be right about that. Like, I, I'm yep. not saying that, like, he's the same. Again, whatever, point but... of view, right? Like some of those warehouse employees probably love it and some of them probably feel exploited. It's you know, Sure, sure. It's, but but yeah. the, the thing is, like, there is a single mom somewhere in, uh, you know, I don't know, like West Virginia that, like, can have a one-click button to get diapers yeah. at home, right? And that has to count for something, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, the, the, so, that's the cooperation. Everybody wants what he's offering, and it didn't exist before. Right, right. So, so you know, and 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 by the way, like to the moral calculus, there is absurd because you got like millions and millions of people involved on both sides yeah. of that, right? Um, yes. So that's you know where you're like, okay, well, the market will decide, but then you got people interfering with uh, legislation, to <laughs> put their thumbs on the scale, and then you know, again, it's it gets complicated. But I guess my my just. I want to I want to make sure I, I I complete the original question that got us down this mm -hmm. rabbit hole. Um, so my my view on Valena is that like you know surveillance sort of you know centralized controlled kind of world is the is the negative sum or zero yeah. sum which becomes negative sum which becomes about like you know I got mine and I got to take yeah. yours or whatever it is, right? And 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 my thinking is like yes, it could be like that. And honestly, if it wasn't Valena in this world, it would be somebody else who probably would have a lot less objection to making it like that. But my, my question to my team often is like, how can we make it not that, right? How can we make it a positive something? How can we make the machines to be an amplifier of the, of the human, right? So um, uh, like Iron Man, for instance, right? Like where it's a machine, right? Mm -hmm. It can fly, it can do things that humans can't do, but inside there's yeah. a human like that is, and the movements correspond one-to-one -one with the human, right? So it's like taking what is there and like, making it 10x 100x rather than making it 0.5x like control you know fit in a smaller box so we can uh you know feed you less or whatever it is that um you can do so so really the tech i think can be used in multiple ways and where my um thinking is very very often is like how do we bring it to more people how do we lower the barrier how do we make this like a a, a symmetric weapon that everybody can use um, and that can give benefits to everybody. And, and also how can we reduce the centralization of it? Like these days I'm thinking like, 
how can I make it not have centralized servers, right? So if it was infiltrated by NSA, which I sure hope it isn't right now, but you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I you know, I don't know the heart of every single employee of Valena, weirdly enough. Um, but how yeah. can I make it so that even if we were infiltrated, they wouldn't be able to get anything because there isn't anything there, right? It's some sort of yeah. distributed, open, like trustless kind of system that um, uh, you know ultimately is is, is sort of reviewable by anybody. These are, these are the kinds of things I'm thinking about. Like, how do we take this technology that definitely has potential to be used for evil and make it something that either is, you know, a, a worse neutral, but hopefully better than that, right? Something that enables humanity rather than controls it. Yeah, for, for sure. And how do you, how do you guys think about, you know, one of the, there's kind of two scenarios in which I've heard, you know, you could have sort of, terrorist-like attacks coming from Internet of Things. And I, I don't know jack shit about Internet of Things, really, but these are two things that I've become tangentially aware of. And one is simply using um, those devices as sort of like the worst DDoS attack ever, right? Because you just have so many computers that if you can deploy something and just get them pinging the same thing at the same time, that's a nightmare. Yeah. Um, and and the second thing is is just like, being able to do sort of like, you know, shut down everybody's fridges, you know, shut down, you know, just wreak havoc on thermostats and things like that. Like, what? how do you guys think about security measures uh, in that way? Look, ultimately, what we do is make updates very easy, right? Um, and that by itself, like, forget everything else, that by itself is a type of security mechanism. Because if you can't update your thing, it will definitely be vulnerable, right? If you if okay. you can't update it, it might be vulnerable. But if you can't update it, it will be vulnerable. So okay, you're already you know like there's like tons and tons of Chinese made stuff that's like you know you you can buy it for like ten bucks, right? And it's this amazing little widget you can put at your home. You can connect to the internet, whatever, and it can do like incredible things for you. What you don't know is that it's probably running like a version of Linux from 15 years ago, and it's always going to be running a version of Linux from 15 years ago. And even if it's not, you know. If it doesn't come with spyware, <laughs> right, <laughs> out of the box, it's gonna have some sooner or later, right? So you know, making it so that it can be managed using principles that you know cloud computing has figured out, uh, you know, over over the last few decades, um, getting those ideas to the uh, to the devices space. That, that's kind of like what the company was made to do to begin with, right? They just give some like some baseline of functionality where. You know, it's not abandonment, right? It's not this thing where you can just like ping IP addresses and just like grab whatever. So we mm -hmm. we do a lot to sort of, you know, close down attack loopholes, pathways, and then also be very conservative. We do virtualization. Anyway, there's like a lot of technology we use to make it a lot harder, at least, right? You can, can we say like, we're, we're going to keep the NSA out of your boxes? <laughs> You They've know, got a lot of that's resources. A hard, that's a hard sell. Um, <laughs> but can we keep keep like script kitties out of your boxes? Yeah, you yeah. know we can do that. And <laughs> probably a lot better than that. Um, so that is such a humble answer, by the way, right? Like that is, uh, you know, it's like yes, if we have state actors targeting us, this might be a problem to you know deal with. But if you know you're you're run of the mill jerks, uh, you know, uh, script kitties, as you said, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the thing is like we rely on like the kind of encryption that banks rely on right mm -hmm. but the question is is that good enough like right. <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't want to freak anybody out i'm just saying we're the best you can get and you know it's only <laughs> uh, you know 
good to 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 a point, right? Like once yeah. you get to like determined opponents, state level right. actors or whatever, things get you know it's it's better to consider that you're like probably not protected and act accordingly than to just sort of outsource your um, protection to like oh the Linux kernel is protecting me or like GitHub is protecting me. It's like I personally would not bet that that is happening, even though I don't know. Oh. I'm like, this is not me like sort of signaling something I know. I don't know anything. Yeah. For all I know, we're perfectly secure and everybody's perfectly secure. Um, but what I'm saying is like the priors are just not great. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm utterly convinced that you know all of the major tech companies and social platforms all are both formally cooperating with those entities and have informal people inserted. Like I, I, I can't see how it's otherwise, right? Like I guess for me, the the real question is like, how do we design things such that that is not a problem, right? Right, right. That that's really the question because you can't to to think that you're always going to be a step ahead is yeah. is just foolishness. I think the question is how do we get out of the rat race? You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so that was always fun talking about you know intelligence actors. Um, <laughs> If you're listening, <laughs> yeah, yeah, guys, we're not that bad. We're not the bad guys, okay? Yeah, look, look, look uh, over there. Yeah. Um, what other topics would you get into if you had more time? What other things would you rabbit hole? Oh man, so I've got this thing, and I, I, you know, part of me wants to say I'll never get into it, and part part of me wants to say like I'll find a way. So I don't know if I'll ever get into it, but um. I want to get into the whole like energy story, right? Like about mm. renewable energy and fossil fuels and that stuff, because, and the, the reason I think I can actually sort of bring something interesting to the space is that um, I guess people might know, know this, but like I started getting active on Twitter um, because I was digging into Tesla. Actually, it wasn't yeah. about um, uh, sort of the virus. It was more about, you know, uh, Musk and Tesla and, you know, that world. So I have a decent sense. I wouldn't say like I'm an expert or, or anything like, but I got a decent sense about like renewable energy and the various curves of batteries and solar panels and all that stuff. And what I'm noticing is something that is actually, interestingly enough, I think it's a failure mode across many, many industries, which is that people use sort of Malthusian um, linear curves, right? Mm -hmm. To just judge everything, right? And, 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 and when it comes to energy, by the way, I see that on both sides, which is amazing. So you got the um, the renewable energy people being like, you're running out the oil, blah, blah, blah. We're going to run out of it. It's like, yeah, but when the price goes up, it can go deeper in the earth. We can find more oil. That's... Like, you know, innovation. They only thing. project 30 years out anyway, because that's all they bother to explore for. On the one side. On the other side, they're like, oh, you know, you're going to fill, you know, we're never going to be, you, know, you, you, you there's not enough cobalt in the earth. There's not enough lithium. There's not enough whatever. It's like. But there's other technologies like Tesla. People don't know this, right? They're like, oh, Tesla is using cobalt, which is being dug out of the Congo from yeah, little children. Yeah. And it's like, well, actually, they're buying from Canada. But there's a counter argument there, which is that, yeah, but it's fungible, right? So if Tesla goes and buys the Canadian cobalt, somebody else is going to have to go and buy the uh, Congolese cobalt. And 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 in, in Congo, there's definitely some supplies that are terrible. So Tesla is actually reducing, it's doing a lot of research to reduce the amount of cobalt it needs. And in fact, Half the cars it's making today don't use any cobalt, but people don't know that. Um, so, you know, I, I think a lot of these questions have like these sort of nonlinearities baked in because basically when there's a limit, people find tend to find their way around. And I think fascinatingly for me, both sides in this question 
are operating as if linear curves will continue forever. And they're debating like, which linear curves do we pay attention to? And and my thing is like, forget your linear curves. Like that's not how it's going to play out, right? We've got to find something more stable to build from. So I'd love to dig into, you know, that whole like sustainable energy uh, question, but I don't, you know, it's it, as you, as you might imagine, it's the kind of rabbit hole that you can go into and never come out. And do you and do you think battery technology itself is the right way to be approaching dramatics improvements to those the, the the space that you're talking about? I think so. I think so. Like, look again. What people don't know is 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 um, batteries are improving about seven percent a year, right? And okay. that's going to reach some limit, but seven yeah. percent is not a little. That's good. And a lot of time. Um, when you so, for instance, right? There's this uh, one uh, car that's coming out that's not a Tesla. Weirdly enough, it's called a Terra, um, which is like it looks like a like a I don't know how to call it like the perfect aerodynamic shape, right? Like it's just been designed with like no concern for looks or anything. It's just the perfect aerodynamic thing, and it's got solar panels on it, and it can do like a thousand miles because. Um, not because its battery is just so big, but because it's like it just glides through the air, basically. And then they put the solar panels on there, and they're like, "Look, you can get forty miles a day just out of solar panels, right?" Um, mm-hmm. Why? Well, because they've optimized the batteries, they've optimized the solar panels, they've optimized the whole thing, and it breaks through a boundary, right? Because forty miles is as much as people drive per day, right? Most people for most most days, yeah. um, or less. Um, so. Once you break through that boundary, then you're like, it's not about like, do I have a charging spot, right? It's like, you can just leave it wherever so long as the sun hits it enough and you're in the right sort of um, sort of geographic uh, boundary. And a lot of people yeah. are, some people aren't, but a lot of people are. Yeah. Um, you, you start to have like some weird effects like that, right? And again, these things are getting better and better. Solar panels are getting better. Uh, materials are getting cheaper. Batteries are getting more uh, storage. So and 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 a lot of these things are operating with market dynamics right like so the more demand there is the better a cheaper and more sort of efficient they get um and you a lot of it is about crossing thresholds right can i have a solar panel on my thing that will gather enough energy for me to fill my needs for a day in a day right so so i you know i i'm i'm optimistic that like we're overestimating i think some some things other things are just not gonna work that way um but i i i you know it's probably not going to be as easy as some people think but it's not probably not going to be as hard as others think mm-hmm. just yeah like, weird centrist take but there you have it you know what, what i know so little about energy and all of that it's very difficult for me to even comment uh rationally on on what's possible or not but with that said the california has had some interesting stuff come out in the past few days where or the past few weeks i should say where they're i I don't know if it's like by 2030 2035 they're gonna have they're not gonna sell gas-powered cars in the state anymore california can go get bent (laughs) honestly they are they're killing us right so there's this documentary that everybody should go and watch called who killed the electric car Mm-hmm. Right. And it is an it is an incredible thing to watch because basically this has happened before, right? Like this is uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it definitely rhymes. And in this case, what happened in like 2000, I don't know, like eight, I think, or maybe a bit earlier, GM put out an electric car. Do you know this? The first electric car you could buy or lease 
um, was a GM called EV1. And, you know, people loved okay. it. I mean, it couldn't go very far, but it was the first EV you could get. And it had like regenerative braking and a lot of things we, we know now from EVs and stuff. Um, so people people really loved it. And what happened was California was like, aha, you can make electric cars. And they started pushing regulations. So what did the GM do? They nixed the project entirely. They, they literally repossessed all the cars. They put them in a pound. People were holding vigils outside that place to 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 like prevent their cars from being taken away. Ultimately, they did take them away, and they literally just crushed them and threw them away in the desert. Like, Why? Because GM was like, "Shit, we've we've let the cat out of the bag that we can make electric vehicles, and now they're going to start passing passing laws, and they're going to kill our gas business." Oh my god! Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying it a little bit more simplified than it is in the in the thing, but like I put the um, I put the blame squarely on these cafe standards that they're called, and, and because California basically drives the whole of the U.S. Right? Oh yeah, California. Everybody else has to kind of they got one fifth of the, the biggest the countries. Yeah, they're the one fifth of the country's population, and they're the most liberal state, and they drive all of the regulation from there. Is yeah. my understanding. Yeah. So I think there's one half of the economy as well. So, so like, you know, it's maybe it's like the economy. This. Yeah. So, so that's the thing, right? They, 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 they step in with the hammer. Part of me says like, because politicians just want to get credit for something that's already going to happen. But in that case, back in 2008, they probably made it not happen. Right. Because effectively they um, scared a car company so much that they just put all the lobbyists and all of their like the deviousness to to work. They literally repossessed the cars. There's not, I think there's one car out there that they ma didn't manage to repossess, and you can go see it. <laughs> all the other ones have been destroyed. It's just so... that's nuts, <laughs> right? So so like this is what pisses me off. Like there's a transition that's gonna happen. Like Musk, honestly, they they try to destroy him. They try to kill a guy. Um, but he still like pushed through, and now they're like, "Well, look how nice we are. We're bringing a sustainable economy." It's like, stay out, just yeah, do your like, do something else, find a hobby. I don't know what you're gonna do. Just like l leave it the fuck alone, because what that is doing is creating a lot of counterforce that we don't have to deal with. Because the cars are fucking amazing. Like Tesla's got a year uh, ba back uh, sort of order right now, right, or whatever yeah. it is. It goes up and down, but like it, it's 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 really hard because the just the demand is through the roof. Because when oil is like where it is right now, you don't need to convince people to get, to buy vehicles. Like it just makes sense, right? So you know they've built this incredible business where like in good good years it's a luxury good, so everybody wants it. In bad years, it's like a way to save money, so everybody wants it, and it's it's working perfectly. And the government is stepping in now and is like, we're gonna force you to buy it. It's like, why? We can't make them fast enough. <laughs> Nobody yeah. has them. Yeah. Well, in, in addition to that, California is saying to be, this is like in the last two days, don't charge your electric vehicles because we were having an energy shortage. And again, the energy problems are because they've overregulated their power companies to, to like, they, they tell them how much they can charge. Right. Which means that they, there's no money to be made. So they don't right. maintain their infrastructure. And then it's like, well, the infrastructure is collapsing and the power companies like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah. Right. You fix it. Like you, you forced me to like not make any money ever. So I'm just right. sitting here being, you know, and, and by the way, by proxy, we're not going to clean up the dead trees around all the power, power generation. Right. We, we and we're going to get power because why not? Right. What are you going to do? Like, we're not going to make any money, but we're a monopoly. So you kind of need us. And, and like it becomes this like deranged situation 
software at least nationalized at that point so that we can point to you, right? What they're doing with regulations is they're forcing these people to never make any money, but yeah. also never improve their service. And somehow they're like, well, you know, the market capitalism is destroying us. It's like, no, actually, that's probably just you regulating stuff and just ruining it. Um, so it's 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 really, yeah. Regulation <laughs> is it's like coding, right? Like, but anybody can just put lines of code, and and nobody can stop them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's yeah. like worse somehow. Um, there's no way to refactor. They just like keep stacking them up until something is bad enough that somebody's gonna be like, "Hey, we gotta fix this thing," or whatever, and maybe gets fixed like 20 years later. For, I mean, it it is, it is kind of hilarious that the I I feel like California got like it has become because it is so magnificent and beautiful, and everybody wants to live there. So that they're willing, like the value add of the environment of California is such that people will put up with such ridiculousness just to be there. So you have all of these psychotic bureaucrats who just have their way with people because they're like, you know, it's like 75 and a cool breeze every day. How can we get away from this? I mean, Greece is the same, right? I'm, 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 I, I grew up in Greece, and like honestly, just to go there is the most beautiful place in the world. But to live there, <laughs> one of my favorite—I heard this years ago. It's like the Greeks—they invented philosophy, art, and mathematics, and then they called it a day. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm about to call. Uh, I'm about to call cultural. Uh, what is it? appropriation on on if, if, if this thing keeps going i'm getting ready i i have never been to greece but i always wanted to go it it, it seems fantastic it's like look i'm definitely biased but like I, you know because i grew up there so i love i love the food i love the place it's nice to be able to speak you know my native language mm -hmm. it's just i enjoy the hell out of it but like then sometimes i'll like run into like the bureaucrats, like I had to renew my, my passport recently. And I was like, dear Lord, I now I know why I don't live here. Like it's, <laughs> it was like, they lit I literally had to travel to like a dip. So I went to the police station near where I was, my Airbnb, right? They're like, oh yeah, you can come back in three weeks. I'm like, I don't have three weeks. I'm going to have to go back to the US. Yeah. So I had to drive to a different city, right? I drive to a different city. They're like, okay, yeah, we can, we can help you out, but you need this piece of paper. Oh, go back come back the next day <laughs> they're like okay yeah you can come back next week and get and get the uh and get your passport so i come back next week they're like oh we don't have it today it's gonna be here tomorrow and i'm like people oh yeah like yeah. this is you know like 100 miles each way or whatever like a couple of hour drive um now like i've done like four times rather than like two or one because like i mean god forbid to put it in the mail and give it to you or something right like <laughs> um and it's like oh this is painful you know oh. what i mean like and they don't care uh, it's the same thing as california basically they're like well what are you gonna do what are you gonna do you're gonna not have a passport right <laughs> you're gonna not live in the most beautiful place on earth what yeah <laughs> so that's the that's the story it's it's, it's trade-offs right trade-offs all the way down yeah for sure i mean i remember the stories of when greece was joining the eu and like goldman sachs was like helping them out and helping. definitely helping <laughs> helping <That's a> <laughs> being altruistic 
helping them out. You know, Goldman. And, and it's like, it's like they basically like they cook the books on how much tax. Like nobody pays taxes. Dude, like everybody they, they knew. over. <laughs> right, everybody knew what was going on. I'm sure of it. Right, but they were like, "Look, it's it's your funeral. You want to cook the books? Cook them." <laughs> The bill is gonna come due at some point, right? Like we're not we're not gonna make a fuss about this or whatever. Um, but just know that at some point this thing is gonna blow up and it's gonna be blowing up in your hands, which it's it is. Like all uh, the Mediterranean since the Roman days have been skipping out on taxes, and they they try to make it like we didn't understand this was gonna happen. What do you mean Greece is not exactly on the up and up? The the thing is that basically structurally the way that the euro has been built oh. is um that basically germany has a lower currency because it gets averaged out with all the other countries right yeah. so they get to like export things on the cheap and then they get all this surplus and then they're like oh well we're not going to give you money unless you do this and this and this and everybody else is like but we're poor like we're having to pay for everything in euros right when so basically when you greece had drachma yeah right back in the day it was it was a common headline that you know the government is like under valuing the currency, whatever it's called, like 14%, right? So everything just unilaterally was 14% cheaper, right? We get out of debt. You know, we don't get the latest cars, but hey, like it's a manageable system. With a euro, nobody can do the same the same movement, right? So now yep. they're like, well, we're going to cut the salary from those guys and we're going to add taxes here. Like just trying to emulate the same thing, but you can't really do it unless you have a currency, right? So, so basically it puts the country in a very, very tough spot. And what's worse is that for like a good decade, people were loaning to Greece as if it was Germany. It was this weird thing where we had like German interest rates, right? And we were like, <laughs> not we, not me, like politicians. Right, right, like, right, right. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> and at some point, people were like, hey, we're not sure we can loan you guys money anymore because you might go bankrupt. And everybody was like, really? <laughs> Well, and and right now, what I feel like is going on with the euro. I mean, the euro is essentially just like the Europe. Europe is to um, the United States as Greece is to Germany. I feel like where the U.S. dollar is essentially the reserve currency of your European Union, and everybody's just trying to devalue their currency as fast as possible because they've got too much debt. And prices are yeah going through the roof, Basically, which leads prices going through the roof. The way I think about it is that like the U.S. at least has the Fed, right, or whatever, and there's like one monetary policy. Yeah. In Europe, if you want to like devalue the euro, you got to go to the central bank. Central bank is this thing that it's got people elected in different countries, appoint different people, and everybody's fighting. It's like California and Alabama are sharing a currency, right? Which is fair <laughs> enough. That's what's happening in the U.S. But yeah, California is not that bitter about having to fund Alabama. Because they're like, hey, the people who grew up in Alabama might be software engineers and they come to California, whatever. Like, yeah, it's okay, like broadly speaking, right? It, it, in 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 Europe, people don't think of it that way. They're like, this is German money that's making its way to Greece, and we're not gonna give up on our pensioners for your pensioners, and it kind of makes sense. But again, like we we've tied each other. Yeah, like, we're all tied at the hip, right? And nobody's getting out of this boat alive, <laughs> and and everybody's being petty about it. And uh, but it is different governments, right? It's not one government. It is different. So, so, so part of me thinks that the euro was set up this way in order to force a federation, ultimately. 100%. That was the entire goal. Was The idea was a cultural assimilation across Europe to strengthen those ties so they wouldn't go to war again. 
and that we're also going to have the pricing power of a larger confederacy like the United States has. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing is like it's right now it's been sort of put in the middle of like the hill and it's like either going to tip one way and they're going to go like for super high integration or it's going to yeah. tip the other way and it's all going to fall apart. And yep. it's super unclear what's it going to end up happening. But I, I can tell you that people in Greece used to be a lot more pro-Europe than they are today. Yeah. I mean, I think that's all. I don't know too many Europeans. And I mean, I, I, I don't. I don't, so it's it's hard for me to say, but I, I I get the sense from what I what I read that it's 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 teetering quite a bit, you know the the especially with energy prices going with what they are, um, and you know the, the, you literally have the politicians throwing up billboards in England saying that you know this is the price that we have to pay for freedom in Ukraine, and that you know we're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this worth it. this? I, it's 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 phenomenal. Like how? Yeah, yeah. Price of democracy. Thank you for and, grinning and, and bearing time, with not, us. I'm not there, right? So uh, you know, yeah, I go back sometimes, either. and I'm like, you know, I haven't I haven't really been like mentally in Greece. I mean, I, I left what 17 years ago, but like I wasn't. I was in Europe. I was in the UK for a good chunk of that time. But like for I don't know the last like I don't know almost a decade now. I've not really kept up at all, right? So yeah. sometimes I go back, and I'm, you know, I'm the I'm the ignorant American weird enough. <laughs> so it's a it's 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 a yeah. Like honestly, when we were living in Europe, we used to sort of marvel at how much Americans didn't uh, understand the world outside the U.S. And mm-hmm. honestly, having moved to the U.S., we fully understand it because there's just so much shit happening in the U.S. You don't yeah. have time to like think about like oh what's happening in Asia what's happening in Europe what's happening in Greece what's happening in Africa I don't know like well stuff right but like you know did you see Biden yesterday <laughs> you know it's it's also I feel like and this kind of leads into another line of questioning that I want to have with you that our that our education in the United States is so bent on this sort of like liberal utopia where everybody's going to get can get along is everybody's like the same and like we all you know at the deep down have the same core values and that people in the united states can't picture the idea that europe was for hundreds if not a thousand plus years warring fiefdoms you know with very distinct cultures with very and like yeah and and not to say that Europeans like hate each other and like whatnot, but they shit on each other a lot. Like it's not it's, like it's not like California and Alabama. I'll tell you. No, that. no, right. there's not this unified like, thing. Like between California and Alabama, like there's like a lot of like teasing or whatever. Sure. Or you know, um, making fun of each other's accents or whatever. Like it is very different if you've been at war with somebody for like two hundred years, right? Um, exactly. <laughs> like it, it, people don't fully appreciate like what that means and culturally, right? Like generations upon generations just slaughtering each other. Um, even before the national state was born, by the way. So like you know, Balkans, right? Like Greece is part of the Balkans. Like what is the expression to Balkanize, right? Like <laughs> this thing, like it was like this like big region, right? And and really, it wasn't just the Balkans. It was like Anatolia, like modern day Turkey, the Middle East. It was just like this mosaic of people. Like a village could have like. 10% Jews and 20% Armenians and 5% Greeks and, you know, 60% Turks or whatever, right? And, and and really, they didn't even think of themselves as Turks and Greeks. They thought of themselves as Christians and Muslims or whatever, right? Like, yeah. it wasn't even that 
um, clear cut. Um, and at some point, they just drew lines and like, you know, we are the state of this country or the state of that country. And, you know, you get exchange of populations. I So my uh, grandparents from my mother's side were, um, you know, Greeks, we would say today. They were, they were Orthodox Christians in modern day Turkey who were kicked out. But they spoke Turkish, right? Yeah. So then they they come to Greece, and everybody's like, "You guys are Turks." They're like, "No, no!" Like they specifically kicked us out of there because we're not, right? So, <laughs> um, and then I, I met this guy uh, playing, you know, online sort of I think Risk or something on on Facebook back in the day, um, and he was like, "Yeah," and my grandmother was like deported to Turkey, even though she was speaking Greek until she was 101, right? Because she was Muslim. So. It's just like, you know, the the degree of interconnectedness of all the people in these areas. And, you know, when we learn history in Greece, like we learn history, right? It goes to 4000 BC and we learn all, all of the reasons to be angry at everybody <laughs> throughout time. Right. And I'm sure everybody else is the same. So it's not like U.S. history where it's like, you know, 1786 or whatever it is that 1787 <laughs> Uh, yeah, there, the, the there were the happened. there was the Egyptians, and then there were the Greeks, and then there were the Dude, Romans, like, and, and then there was Greeks the American Iranians. revolutions. <laughs> Greeks and Iranians still hate each other for stuff that happened like two and a half thousand years ago. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Americans have no. I, I mean, I didn't have any sense of that I, at least until my twenties, and it was like when I just started reading independently, and like, it was like, holy shit. Uh, you know, you meet people from other countries and like, well, you guys aren't exactly the same as, you know, we don't all have these independent values. Uh, and by the way, that's the thing, right? You hate each other, but then like you'll meet each other, like, I don't know, being students in the UK, right? And you realize yeah. that you're like, you're like very similar to each other and very different from the Brits yeah. right, or whatever. <laughs> so you, you go have beers, oh, have yeah. fun or what? So again, it's just very, very multidimensional and it, it always happens that way. But if you're not in it, it's very, very easy to to mistake that for um, like, you know, I saw this thing. I, I just could not get over it. And like, it's petty. Right. So people are going to be like, really, that's the thing that pisses you off. But somehow, <laughs> you know, this thing that was going around, which is like, oh, white people have plain food. Right. Or oh, whatever. Yeah, I, oh, yes. Yes. And I was like, no, we don't. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, am I not? You know, like it just gets gets really complicated really quickly. Yeah. Just asking a simple question, like, is is do white people have bland food? I don't know if they're Brits, maybe. Right? Well, but it's like, like you know, back back in the day, like people who were from the Mediterranean area weren't considered white. Like, no, no, Itali I mean, Italians weren't considered white. There was this law actually passed in Australia that was like, with very careful selection, perhaps we can let in some Greeks. Yeah. I, 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 it's it's it is funny how the the window of like how people think of who like Jews are white now. Jews were never white, you know, fifty hundred years ago. They they were Jews, right? Like it's and it's and even now we're seeing. I'm seeing on some social media, it's like that Asians are now effectively white people. How right. does how does that work? I don't. <laughs> Well, it just tells you something, right? That that the that, that the label is functioning differently than what it sounds like, than what it, what I grew up with, right? For right. for sure. Yeah, and and you know it's sad a little bit. Like you you're forced to think about people like in terms of I, this is going to sound really weird, but like I had this friend of mine in the UK, right? Uh, who's like his dad was from Nigeria, right? So you know, presentationally he's, he's yeah. black, but like he's he grew up with his mom, like who was like I don't know, like Irish or something. So like yeah. I just didn't think about 
right? We just hung out. And then I was yeah. like, hey, you know, uh, Jim Jim is black. Like, not that I didn't know what he looked like, obviously, but like I just hadn't classified it that way. And then like, yeah, yeah. it just becomes a thing, right? And then you start thinking about stuff and you're like, ugh. But like, I just don't register him that way because culturally he's not different than like any other person I... I- I had the same experience. I mean, I grew up in New Hampshire, so almost everybody was white. There was like one black kid and then there was a Mexican uh, girl whose family owned like the the Mexican restaurant uh, in our grade school and high school. Like that was that was the racial diversity in uh, in southern New Hampshire. And then then I went to college and it was sort of weird because like the black kids like we were trying to rush this black kid into my fraternity and like it was this oh, I was like, oh, you can't really do that because your friends will ostracize you because there's sort of this this barrier and i was like oh that's weird never you know and then obviously as i got older i was like oh okay there's a whole bunch of conflict through these things that i wasn't aware of whatsoever but yeah yeah. it is very strange how 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 those things sort of manifest themselves and like i feel like these days it's gotten as odd as i can imagine like i i just can't (laughs) The what I find fascinating is that again, just to go back to Avermectin, just because that's the topic I've been digging into, um, is how you know research from different countries is is perceived as being less than mm-hmm. or better than because like well you know this study was done in Nigeria or this study was done in Brazil or this study was done in Mexico or whatever, yep. and people won't come out and say it that they think it's fraudulent just because it was done you know in a what did what did Trump call it yeah that uh country um but like. You kind of get the vibe and they'll tell you in hushed tones in private that like, well, you know, if it's not really from like, you know, a top, like top grade Western country, like, you know, UK, US, that's basically, that's basically it. But what, what we're willing to consider is like Anglosphere, really, maybe Australia, maybe, maybe yeah. if they're really nice. Um, well, and, and then we come to find out that all the top-notch stuff is largely captured by very sophisticated so, players. So, so here's what I found out, right, which really ties it all together. Fraud is everywhere, right? Just like, you know, oh, dishonesty yeah. is everywhere. But there's, not all is lost. What I found, what, what my sense is right now is that I'd rather take a, a, a study from Pakistan that has been um, looked into with the standard methods of, like, fraud detection that we have yeah. because fraud that happens in, you know, the non sort of core Western countries, it's pretty blatant. Like you can just sort of tell Yeah. Um, fraud that happens in the Western countries, dude, these people know what the yeah, fuck they're doing. Yeah. They, they are they professional. Are sophisticated. They're, they're not fucking around. Um, like seriously kind of stuff. I mean, if, if people have read my, my, my stuff on together, I'm like, they are taking every you know 0.1% advantage they can grab they they will take it and they have like 150 of those right so they pack them all up and then the study comes out looking a weird way and you're like what happened everything looks yeah. fine you're like ah i found this and they're like yeah but that's just 0.1% right it's tiny yeah. like that's probably not it and then you're like but i found this one it's like yeah oh well, that's a 0.2% it's like yeah but if you add them all together and there's like you know dozens of them yeah like it's yeah. the same thing, but it's much, much harder to prove that something went wrong. It's like it's like the gerrymandering process within science. <laughs> like, Fantastic way to put it. I, I call it Potemkin arguments, right? Like Potemkin villages that the, the Soviet um, uh, sort of had that sort of you 
these days, like, let's say you see a dignitary going to North Korea, right? Yeah. And you show them, like, this beautiful village with, like, everybody's, like, orderly and everything is clean and whatever. And, you know, the story is that, like, when they leave, like, everything collapses or whatever. Or it's, like, yeah. the cows aren't real. They're cardboard or whatever, <laughs> right? It, it's kind of like that where, you know, if you look at it, like, twice, you're like, wow, this looks great. Yeah. And then you lift up a, a little rock and you're like, hey, wait, yeah. this is plastic, right? <laughs> <laughs> what's and you look up you know it's a truman show right there's a camera like it falls down and you're like where did that come from <laughs> i i yes 100 <laughs> percent. so i okay go on no no it just it just gets um it just gets, so so i'd much rather trust i'm telling you like like a straight up straightforward very simple study done in dhaka pakistan or danga dhaka bangladesh <laughs> Yeah. Um, right. That was just done by somebody who just wanted to do a clean study and yeah. did a clean study. And it's very, it's very straightforward. You just look at it and there's nothing to be confused about. Right. And then you look at yeah. these like complicated platform adaptive trials with like multiple arms running at the same time. And you're like, you know, yes, like these people are a lot more competent, but they're playing with machine guns. Right. They're not, yeah. there's just not water guns anymore. <laughs> Yeah, it's very very sophisticated. It it also reminds me. I, I at some point when I was looking into like the the lab leak stuff, there was a there is like the chief science guy of China, you know, and he he apparently like he's like Zai's like number one science dude, and somebody was brought to everybody's attention that he had committed fraud in a number of his papers. And the way in which he had committed fraud was simply taking like pictures and inverting them and you like varying them by just changing their rotation and, right, right, right. you know, and, and making them the inverse. And like, and it was like, what? So such a, he just knew that it didn't matter. And he just had to do a plausibly good enough job of making it look by somebody who is just scanning to not get caught right. that you know the fix is in whatever let's go right it's it's just like yeah that's like minimum viable fraud or whatever right? minimum viable fraud yes i see a lot of that that's the thing like if you see a bad study abroad yeah. i just feel like it's just like pretty pretty obvious that it's, it was a, a horrible study so i was you know in, in a, my professional world uh year this is years ago i was um you know judging some SQL queries uh, that were being written as a test for some of our partners over in India. And they just, you know, some people suspected fraud and they brought me in to like, just, you know, say like, did I suspect it? And like, it was so blatantly obvious that they had just copied each other. They kept even like the same indenting, the same, you know, like they would, they, there was like one parameter that they would change like fat variable names, but like, all the other stuff would be like exactly the same. I'm like, how this is not possible. Like you, you didn't write these things yourselves. So, you know, what? I, but it's like, what I came to understand is that for some segments of the population in India, it's like you like passing was more important than anything. Like you, you didn't, it, it didn't really matter if you were copying off of somebody, but, it, but you need to give the appearance of competency. Otherwise, you know, it's a huge risk for you and your family and you don't, you know, pass through school and this or that. So there was a little re-education that went on expectations um, that had to go on, but you know, this is, this is kind of how they grew up. 
here's here's the thing. So I had a very very similar thing in the UK when I was I was a teaching assistant, right? Uh, yeah. So I was sort of evaluating homework for students, right? And you know, people don't realize this when they're turning in their homework. But when you're looking at a group of people and you're like, all the Cypriots had the same variations of the same assignment, right? Yeah. And all, like, not, I don't know if all, but like, you know, 95% of the, enough like, <laughs> each national cluster, like, yeah. it was identical or, or, or yeah. closer. Like, they changed the colors or whatever, the background. Yeah. You're like, dude, this is so blatant, like, whatever. And you could even tell kind of who did it because they probably did a little bit more on theirs and the other ones, yeah. like, weren't confident when they were demoing it or whatever. <laughs> like, it was blatant, right? Here's the thing, though. They did what they did. The university was like, I was like, my professor, like, what are you going to do about this? And he's like, well, I can't like fail 80% of my class. Yeah. Right. So yep. they passed. So, so, so who's the fraudster here? Right. Oh, no, it's a fraud up and down the chain. And th this is like, I mean, I don't want to like get on my high horse about the United States because I think we have unbelievable problems in the academic system these days, especially outside the hard sciences, where it's like none of you know, a huge swath of the humanities you you know the the james Lindsay, for example submitting these papers you know to these these journals that are just completely and utterly made up that get in there and like highlight it and whatnot so it's like it is becoming ubiquitous that but this that's is the thing it's not it's not just the hard sciences that's the that's the thing i mean what i've seen in medical sciences is just yeah it, it, so many things i think about it sometimes like the like the internet, right? The early yeah. internet was built on trust, right? You yeah. could send an email to anybody and pretend to be anybody and they would receive it, right? And it would say like, Microsoft.com sent you this thing, right? Because they hadn't thought that like, it's, you know, and they've had to remake basically all the protocols, you know, HTTP became HTTPS and whatever, like just yeah. to encrypt like all the things yeah. so that like, it's like some the barest security. Well, when it comes to science, we're still back in the day where we built everything to run on like on the honor code or whatever. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just become this raw power game now because everybody knows that the rules are not solid enough. So yeah. everybody knows this judgment that has to be applied. So, so it's actually the worst of all worlds, right? Because the FDA makes things hard enough so that only big pharma can really get through the process. Yep. But it is also like broken enough that they can get anything they want through the process. So it is just, I can't go and get a drug approved, right? Because it just needs right. so many hoop jumping, but the hoops are pointless, right? Like it's just, yeah. they're just hoops. So if you know what to do, you can get, you know, almost anything through. And, you know, that's just how it is. That's just how, you know, like it's it's really the worst of all worlds <laughs> in, in, some, in some parts of the, um, the, the, the health space. And I guess this is what really has gotten me to pay so much attention to this because it's it's just dire like you don't really know what to trust at this point it's and it's not like okay you bought a toy that like didn't last as long like these are drugs that are killing people yeah yeah no for sure i mean i i have become i i used to be i remember conversations not seven eight years ago that i had where you know i would do my little condescending thing where i would say to people you know who believed in uh, <laughs> i can't even think of a good example you science with the science yeah i was just like you know if if it worked they'd call it science and i was you know i'd say shit like that and now i'm like oh god that's so cringe 
There are some people out there who still play that game. Oh, I well, yeah, exactly. And now, now I'm like, about. if you get on that horse, like, I think you're, you're, I think you're a fraudster immediately. <laughs> yeah, it's it, you got to be like. The thing is, like, ultimately, we're trying to pass enough regulations that, like, we'll get the fraudsters or whatever. But we're not realizing that there's a higher order system, which is incentives, right? Yeah. So if the incentives are aligned so that people are gonna want to get through. Whatever rules of the game you you set, they're gonna want to go through, right? Yeah. So you can find all the flaws today and make a perfect rule system that's gonna catch all of them, and turn your back, come back in five years, they're gonna have a whole new set of tricks, right? Hundred percent. They pay a yeah. lot of very smart people to find exactly what the problem is with your regulations. Absolutely. Like, and I and I think there's there's no way in which you can design a foolproof system where you have a benevolent authority with sufficient power at a scale the, the large enough of the United States that you can end up trusting independently. I, I just don't think that that's a, a reasonable thing to um, think can occur. Does, is that a statement that resonates with you? Yeah, I think honestly, you, you, people are trying to like get incentives out of the system Basically, yeah. just like legislate them out or whatever. Like, oh, we've got conflict of interest regulations. It's like, yeah, but who does anything other than for for interest? Like, so yeah. what you're you just again you're just adding hoops. But like, question is, can we use incentives? Right? Can we put skin in the game? Can we have things yeah. that um, you are held liable? Like, for instance, right? Let's let's talk about something slightly controversial, like uh, Facebook um, shutting down the Hunter Biden story. What if we said you can shut down whatever you want? Yeah. If it turns out that it was real, you're now on the hook for like billions of dollars. You yeah. Whatever you want, you're you know you're clear to censor, but skin in the game. If you turn out to be wrong, <laughs> you're in real trouble. Right? Yeah. Like, but they're not. You know, I'm not saying that like what I just described doesn't have flaws, but what I'm saying is like that kind of thing where um, people are are sort of have freedom to act in the moment, but also um, are, are, are liable. Right now we're like, well, you know, I passed, you know, I did it by the book, so I'm not liable, um, even if I was wrong, right? Yeah. So everybody's just like investing more and more money in lobbies or whatever, so that there's enough loopholes that they can do whatever they want, basically, without oversight. Let me take this conversation as I'm going to build off of, I think, uh, the direction that we were going there. But I wanted to touch upon like you and I are both you, you have a you have a um, uh, an infant right now or a, a few month old. I've got a, a, a like one five weeks, six weeks now old. Um, and you. Yeah. Upstairs, upstairs with mom. Um, Are you sleeping? Am I sleeping? I once a week or so. There's a night <laughs> where it's uh, difficult, but overall, it hasn't been that bad. Uh, it really, mom does a fantastic job. Um, and and you have a two year old now. Is that is that correct? Yeah, my, my my eldest is uh, three three and a half. Yeah, three and a half. And the youngest one was like I don't know nine months now. So it's um. The problem is the problem is the eldest. I'll tell you that much. When you have a second one, the problem is not the first one. You kind of know what to do. It's 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 managing the it's managing the other one. I, I have heard this before. <laughs> I've got a couple of years before I have to start figuring that out. So we, so we're both fathers of young young children, and you know we 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 both have a highly skeptical uh, point of view towards 
um, the authorities that are producing what is popular consent and knowledge out there. Um, and obviously, this, this, these ways of thinking that are producing these people are, are coming from our education system. How do you think about that in terms of you know, you're having your own kids go to school or however you educate them in order to produce people who can effectively operate within society, but also have an appropriate skepticism and ability to like come to good conclusions and make good choices? Look, I'm not, um, you know, I, 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 I might not be able to pull it off, but I was in principle, at least I was pro homeschooling before this whole mess happened. Right yeah. now with what I'm seeing, it's like, if at all I can, I'm going to do it and I can probably afford it. And honestly, I just feel bad for people who can't. Yeah. Right. Because they're yeah. just going to have to take the default and, 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 you know, and like it. And the default is getting worse and worse really quickly. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and again, I don't know if it's my perception of it or if it really is getting worse. And I think it's a little bit of both. Um, but Jesus Christ, I mean, I, I, it's a scary thought to, to know that like, yeah, you're going to like, out, basically outsourcing in all of its forms seems to me today to be a terrible idea, yeah. right? That you're going to get somebody and you're going to throw some money that way and it's whatever's going to come back. It's going to be as if you did it. And it's not right. So this idea that parents can like outsource education to the state, or that you know the U.S. can outsource making, oh I don't know, surgical masks to China, yeah. right, or whatever. Like it all works until it doesn't, right? And when it yeah. doesn't, you're screwed. So I, I I really think we've got something supply chain wise really kind of wrong in Western civilization that we haven't really thought it through. Yeah. I, I, for sure. I mean, one of the trends that I noticed, uh, you know, and I think uh, Shaky is one of the people that I, has really opened my eyes uh, to, to, to some of this is like how you send kids off to these schools and they get educated um, in a way that makes them radicals. Like they, they makes them like um, think that the people who came before the, um, were ignorant uh, and that and that and i'll tell you from uh, my own personal experience with my my parents kind of had that attitude about their parents right <laughs> there was like something that was sort of you know and they my parents were the boomer generation and they were you know they, they, and they you know a a common theme would be that um well and this is mostly from my mother who's dead god bless her heart but you know she she would like to you know comment about how you know the, the older generation was you know ignorant and didn't really know what they were talking about and i and i kind of like looking back at it that seems to be like a cycle that continues where if you it, how can it be that everybody was so ignorant yet we got here and so fine <laughs> <laughs> it's that it's an arrogance right it's a type of arrogance yeah. that we all like live in and as you say right we, we we got this far it's not a small thing and i think we somehow have adopted this view that like whatever was discovered in the last 30 years the best thing ever and whatever yeah. came before is the worst thing ever or something and it's like if you say it like that it sounds idiotic right so it clearly right. couldn't have been but somehow we operate as if it were Right. Um, exactly. And 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 yeah, I think honestly, uh, right now I'm just going back to like 
what is the tried and true? What is the proven, you know, what is Lindy or whatever it is like, yeah. what has lasted for like a good couple of hundred years? Like I'll, I'll trust that over, you know, some newfangled thing that came out of a lab yesterday. And they're like, everybody's going to take it today. And you're like, <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> you know, exactly. Maybe I'm tomorrow. not like I'm not like skeptical of everything always, but like give it a couple of days, right? Give it a month. Like maybe don't take it like the first day. Like <laughs> whatever. It's like you just think about all of all of everything, and you're like, you know, we just tend to think that like you know this this meme that's going around, right? Like in Roman times, the average age was like of of, of uh, like the average lifespan was 35 years old. Yes. Because like infants died, lots right. and lots of them, right? It's not like, like people would like grow up to be thirty-five and drop dead, right? right? They still live to the till they were eighty. Some well, what they what they leave out in that average calculation is if you made it to year four, you probably yeah. made it to year sixty plus, right? Right, or you died in a war, but like, or you or yes, or, or yeah, <laughs> one of the two. Really, it wasn't it wasn't quite that you like lived such a hard life that you would drop dead at like thirty-six with like you know, white hair, <laughs> like wrinkles or something like, yeah, but we just have this impression of the past that everything was terrible. And it's like, I don't know, man. I think like there were pockets of time when things were horrific and there were pockets yeah. of time where things were pretty great. Um, and, and yeah, we just flatten it all out and we just put it in a bucket and just kind of throw it away. And I don't think we realize how precarious a situation our civilization is in right now with these global supply chains and the, the oh, whole yeah. thing, right? There's like Rube Goldberg machine, like around the globe, basically. Yeah. The, the optimism, like that's another thing that has really in, in the past five to 10 years of, of my way of thinking has evolved quite a bit. And this is comes from Taleb and whatnot. You mentioned the Lindy is, is that optim Paul, shout out to Paul Portesi, who, who, who really uh, drills oh, yeah, this you... into everybody on Twitter all the time. Um, is that uh, fra optimization begets fragilization? Like everything that you optimize uh, to, and, and and the and the more that you optimize it, will increasingly uh, fragilize something else in the system that you may or may not be aware of. Yeah. And it's the the unaware of part is I think what you're getting at when you talk about that Rude Goldberg machine um, and what people don't seem to understand about these supply chains and how fragile they are and how simply, you know, a country like Ukraine, which produces 30 between Ukraine and Russia right, that produces 30% right. of all the wheat and the fertilizer being taken offline for right. you know, say eight months. Yeah, hell is going to happen? Somebody somewhere just having their hand on a tap that you didn't think they were ever going to turn, but it turns out that politics, you know, trumps money and therefore you're screwed, even though you thought that money would trump politics and it doesn't work that way. And now you're scrambling to make, I don't know, chips or whatever in like Oregon. Right. Yeah. Um, and you're like, holy shit, like build factories. <laughs> it's like, yeah. would it be nice if you didn't have to like scramble and be like exposed, caught with your ass in the air, right? Like missing like fundamental things to support a civilization. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Yeah, I was just listening to a Jocko podcast about that because he's he's doing a lot to bring American manufacturing back. I mean, he's doing it with a couple of uh, clothing products and then some, uh, you know, protein shakes and, and whatnot. 
but he one of the things he talks about is that we we took this entire uh, the greatest generation built this entire manufacturing base um you know yeah off the ruins of europe because they didn't everything was gone over there but you know it was and then once we had captured the market we sold off that production capacity to the lowest bidder and <laughs> yeah I mean, one one startup I've I've sort of helped uh, startup not not like my startup, but just help them um, is doing you know sort of super like you see my three D printer there in the back. They do like um, they want to build like sort of mini sort of factories with like three D printing style technologies that are like super agile, so they can build yeah. whatever they need whenever they need it. Like not 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 consumer stuff, right? Like more yeah. high grade. But like I, I really think that that's kind of the future is like adding flexibility to our supply chains because honestly, if you have a factory that makes, I don't know, like paper clips, it's always going to be making paper clips, right? Yeah. And the the thing is that like, you know, the world is a lot more um, fast moving now than it than it was. Um, you know, one pandemic here, one pandemic, <laughs> right? Things things go out the window, and I think what we kind of need is a you know a flexible manufacturing capacity that is near near the markets but not inflexible manufacturing capacity that's far from the markets yeah yeah for sure i mean what is there do you think there is a potential for an american manufacturing revitalization in the next decade or two yeah, that kind of thing that, that I just described. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, the U.S. is very, very lucky, right? Like, it's the, the best defended place mm -hmm. on Earth or whatever, like, with a lot of land from coast to coast. Um, a lot of very capable people. Um, and, and some some of them in this generation are not that capable. They're going to have to become capable because, hey, what are you going to do? Um, so I think there's a lot of all the right ingredients, right? So that... People are gonna do what they're gonna do. They're gonna to have to do. But I guess what I'm, what I'm personally worried about is AI, right? And how that intersects with everything else, because mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that has the capability of like upsetting everything, you know. So, so I, I tend to avoid thinking like more than like ten years out because I just kind of it's always in the back of my mind that like unless either we figure out that it's not gonna work, right? So we kind of like lay back a little bit. Or we figure out that it is going to work, in which case there's really no point thinking past, I don't know, 2030, 2035, because it's just going to be, you know what they call the singularity? It's not necessarily that's like, you know, Skynet is going to show up. It's more like that we don't know what's beyond that point. And I think that's kind of the thing. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I have a really, really hard time thinking like what world my kids are going to grow up in, mostly because I just know that there's a few of these factors that we went through that have the potential of like changing the world so dramatically that you know no matter what i think about right now it's just not going to be not going to be that relevant unless it's like super generic right like mm. thinking in terms of like epistemological frameworks rather than like which stock should i own right <laughs> that, kind of, that kind of thing yeah i don't think there's, there's really any i don't think any futurist or anybody does 10 plus years out at all to any degree of accuracy i mean if you can do you you can predict five if you create it yourself right like you if you you can do five if like you have a vision that you you're kind of agile to but you know and get somewhere but you know beyond beyond that it's i think people are just a lot of mental masturbation it's it's just like 
there's like the linear models and where things are pointing at that you can probably like stretch out and kind of get a sense of like what a prosaic future looks like. But like every day you add to those, the tail, like all those models, like mm -hmm. there's just these other like factors that have a ch some small chance every day, but like with enough days, that chance becomes like one right? <laughs> that they will blow up and they will change everything. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. um, how how do you deal? Like I, I honestly don't know. Like how you deal with that is 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 a big issue. I, and and I have this, this is how this is a problem I have with cash and like food in your basement, and that might not even help you out. Like I don't I don't know. No. Buy a gun. <laughs> yeah. I mean this this is my problem with like the climate change models and people. It's like you know like one volcano can go off and it will produce more CO two than we've made in all of our history. Yeah, I'm, you know, models aren't science. People have to exactly. understand this. Models are not science. <laughs> Just FYI, people. Like, if if we if anybody can leave here with anything today, models, yes, models PSA, are cute. <laughs> what does Sam Harris say? Like, let's do some let's do some home cleaning or whatever he says. It. Yeah, some housekeeping. Uh, models are not models are a thing that the dude made in Excel. Okay. <laughs> It doesn't mean anything. It all, it all, garbage in, garbage out. Like, let's see the predictions that come out of these models come true, and th and then we might have something that's kind of sort of like science. But until that point, uh, please, uh, you know, put them in a different pile than your science because, like, look for things that are, you know, like food. They're like, you know, eat things with few ingredients. That's also yeah. true of like your epistemic frameworks. Just. Yeah. believe things that have like a couple of assumptions like not like fifty thousand assumptions like that's like processed food like just don't just you know leave that for somebody else but like so that's why i kind of like what what brett weinstein talks about with with climate change is like look there's methane under the ice and we don't know how much there is yeah but we know that if it starts coming out it's gonna trigger like a uh like a, a recursive effect and that's really bad so that's probably not something we want to do. But like, he's not like, look at the model from, you know, that yeah. science school of whatever. That's like, you know, got like 50,000 steps in Monte Carlo simulations or whatever. Is it like, sure, you can, but like, there's this other model. And like, yeah, I've, I've been, <laughs> yeah, my, my world has changed a lot <laughs> in the last couple yeah. of years. Yeah, mine too. I mean, I used to be one of these people who, who thought these things were eminently predictable and I thought we had a grasp on things. And then like, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Everybody's lying all the time. I'll, I'll tell you something that people have found funny. Like the most optimistic thought I've had recently is to think and think of multiple ways the world could be destroyed so that they, they could possibly inter interfe interfere with each other. And maybe we have a future. <laughs> I, I like George Carlin's quote. The world is going to be fine. It's us that's going away. <laughs> yep. That's, that's, that's a good, that's a good quote to end on. <laughs> yeah, I was really, you know, maybe we'll end it right there. <laughs> Seems like the positive note for this conference. The models are bullshit. The world's going to be fine. It's us that's screwed. <laughs> Man, that guy, he would he would have a lot of fun if he was around. Oh my gosh. If we could get um if we could get him back, it would be absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Alex, thank you so much for uh joining me on my first podcast ever. This Good was to be our, here. 
this is a real pleasure. I appreciate your time and your insight, and we'll we'll have to do it again at some point. I'll, uh, let's 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 see. Let's see who you are. You going to get shaky? Who else? You? Who's oh, I'm definitely going to get. I on my list is shaky. I've got um, a friend of mine, Ed Clay, who's kind of this businessman jujitsu guy, who's on the list. I uh, I'll share I'll share my list of uh, asks. Actually, awesome. you know, one person you can help me get. I want Stephen Patterson. I I I, I, get I really here. like that guy's mind and how he thinks. I think he is. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I have some admiration for him. I'm, I yeah, I really enjoy his stuff. Anyway, so I you know I look forward. Cool. All right, I will catch you later, Alex. Thank you so much.